Hello and welcome into the second part of the podcast. If you missed part one, we talked about Andre Jackson committing to UConn, other potential 2020 recruits, and some outlooks on the season. We're going to jump into part two now where we discuss the football team, the quarterback situation, Randy Edsel's recent behavior, as well as talking with Colin Sherwin, our friend about the USF Bulls, and then we're going to close up with some ice bus talk. Enjoy. All right, well, after the high of some extremely exciting basketball news, we have to now mellow out and talk a little UConn football. This past Saturday in what may or may not be the final installment of the conflict rivalry, UCF handily took care of business against the Huskies, winning 56-21. So, you know, on the surface, not surprising that UConn lost badly to UCF. But I think the part where uh, UConn and Randy Edsel start looking a little shaky or a little silly is just this carousel that we've seen at the quarterback position. So, yeah, Conley, what, what, was, the, you know, what was the deal? There's been such a cluster at the quarterback position, and we don't even know how or why. Okay, so the official state report, the state news that we've gotten about this is that Mike Beaudry, the starter from who won the job in camp, played against Wagner, got hurt against Wagner. He hurt his shoulder and subsequently has missed the last three games because of that injury. So then because he was hurt, Randy Edsel started true freshman Zach Zergiatis against Illinois. He played against Illinois, actually looked pretty good, especially for a true freshman in his first ever game got rattled against Indiana, never really settled in, and then just had a disastrous start to the UCF game, threw a pick, fumbled the ball, got pulled after the third drive, and Edsel put true redshirt freshman Steve Krajewski into the game. And Krajewski actually looked pretty solid. He threw for 255 yards. He had three touchdowns. Had a pick six on his first throw, but after that was really pretty solid, even though it was against the UCF backups. So then, exactly like Edsel did after Zergiatis' performance against in Illinois, Edsel anoints Krajewski the starter. We then find out literally the next day that Krajewski actually broke his collarbone against UCF, played the entire game with the broken collarbone, which is just unbelievably impressive. And then after the game, supposedly had trouble taking off his shoulder pads and they decided that he needed an x-ray, found out he had the broken collarbone, out six to eight weeks. Edsel's now named Mike Beaudry the starter again now that he's healthy. But the thing is, after the UCF game, I believe it was Mike Anthony of The Current, asked Edsel if Beaudry was available. And Edsel said, yes, Beaudry was available. The next day, the same question is asked, was Beaudry hurt? And Edsel goes, yeah, of course he was hurt. That's why he hasn't been playing. He's been hurt these last three games. He couldn't throw the ball. So which one is it? Is he hurt? Is he not? Was he an emergency option against UCF? Like, how healthy is he going to be going into this USF game? Right. This, this lack of transparency that he's had has kind of started to bite him in the back and really made him look a little bit foolish because if we knew the depth chart, if we knew the injury situations, which, again, lots of fans legitimately care about, um, none of this would be as, as shocking, I think, which is, you know, it's, it's not even just that, you know, obviously players getting injured is out of your control, but then who goes in as the backup being a surprise every single time is uh, not a good look. And so I think it's... Um, it just it, it makes him look like he's not managing this position well, which is not a great sign because it's the most important position on the field and having stability there is really going to be part of the key to UConn getting good again if that's if that's ever going to happen. And uh, the other thing uh, we may have just chat, touched on a little bit earlier was just, you know, if if how are you going to give three different guys your unwavering support four weeks into the season as, as the starter at quarterback Uh, to pull Zergiatis after um, a game at Indiana, who is one of the better teams on UConn schedule. uh, And then at UCF, who is probably the best team on UConn schedule um, to pull him. doesn't really seem like you give him a fair shake. 
And, you know, just like we all are trying to do with this UConn team, uh, might be better to see how he does against some of the other teams on the schedule who are not as strong. Again, if this guy is the person who you're claiming to be the starter for the rest of the season. So um, hate to see him going back and forth on this and then also acting like, you know, he's, he's being unfairly criticized or antagonized by having to answer questions about players' injuries and, and, and things of that nature. Right. And that's the thing. Like, he makes the announcement that Zergiadis is going to be the starter after the Illinois game without going back and reviewing any of the tape. So, all right. Then he does the exact same thing with Krajewski immediately after the game. Like, if he waited a single day and just said, you know what, we're going to evaluate it during practice this week. I want to look at the film. He wouldn't have the entire situation blow up in his face with Krajewski being injured. And the other thing is that I've mentioned on this podcast before is Randy Edsel's history with quarterbacks is not good. So how can he fix that? He could have some offensive coaches that are really good with quarterbacks, except he doesn't have that. His offensive coordinator is an offensive line coach. They brought in or they elevated a graduate assistant to a full-time coaching position. You need to have some a stronger offensive support system for these young quarterbacks because we know how tough it's been for UConn to find good young quarterbacks. And while this one wasn't Edsel's fault, we know exactly what can happen when you screw up the beginning of a talented quarterback's career in Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle never recovered from that freshman year where he got thrown into the fire. So you don't want to do that to either Krajewski or Zergiatis, both of whom have shown plenty of potential to be a pretty solid starting quarterback, at least for the level that UConn needs him to be. And yeah, like you said, by giving each one your unwavering confidence, you're giving none of them any confidence because you've just shown all three of them that at your whim for whoever's the shiniest one at the moment, you're just going to make them the starter. And it doesn't just affect the quarterback position. It affects every single spot on offense because the offensive line has to react to a different player behind them. Like, Krajewski's not a big runner, so he's going to be more in the pocket. Zergiadis can run, but he doesn't really have good pocket presence, so you need to account for that. But then if you have Beaudry back there who showed against Wagner that he'll do some running, then you got to account for a guy who might be running out of the backfield. And then it's not like her wide receiving core is very deep either, because those guys are all true freshmen. It's not like you have Noel Thomas out there who you could throw me at quarterback and Noel Thomas is still going to find his way to 100 catches. These true freshmen need to develop some connection with one of these quarterbacks to be able to develop themselves and be confident in their abilities. If you're just throwing different quarterbacks at them every week, that's not helping them and it's going to affect the entire offense as a whole. And it's just amazing that last year with how awful UConn's defense was the defense is now actually looking pretty solid and now it's the offense that's just running around with its head cut off yeah and it just makes him look like he's not uh you know being sound in, in his decision making which which is of course disappointing um one other thing to just consider you know maybe he has decided he wants to go the red shirt route uh for Zergiatis in in this season which would be completely fair and um, maybe he's just throwing all sorts of smoke signals at future opponents uh, for what he's doing at the quarterback position. But, um, you know, it's not like the stakes are super high in these games for UConn. We're just trying to see a team be slightly better than uh, that one in 11 performance last year. And so uh, it's just, it seems like a lot of covert operations just for the sake of, of seeming shifty and a scenario where you're not really doing a lot to the people who do care about this team, who are looking for information about this team and really kind of flustering those people. And another area where he did that was uh, storming out of his midweek press conference this week from a fairly innocuous question. Uh, last week he was asked um, about the potential of UCF being on UConn's schedule. And this week, uh, he was asked a similar question about USF, South Florida, uh, former 
big East football rival and uh, had a really just cranky old man response. And um, again, it's just like, what's, what's the harm that you went through? Lots of people care about. Out of 130 FBS teams, 129 have their schedule for next year completely set. So uh, how are you going to act like uh, this isn't something that, again, somebody who cares about the team, whoever few and proud fans of this remain. Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't want to talk about schedules, that's fine. If he wants to go the route of that's not in my control or I'm just focused on the next game or any one of those directions, it's a little frustrating because obviously UConn's schedule next year is a very big talking point, but that's a little understandable because when the Big East news came out, all he was talking about was I'm focused on Wagner. So if he's going to take it game by game, just be consistent with it. But you can't answer the exact same question the week before and go into some detail about it. And when he talked about possibly scheduling UCF for the future, he literally mentioned, and we're also talking or thinking about some other American schools. So if he wants to shut down the question the next week, that's one thing, but you can't now throw a hissy fit about the question when you answered the exact same thing the week before. It's not an unfair question. You just set a precedent for answering it. It makes his reaction made absolutely no sense. And it's not like the beat writers that cover the team on a daily basis that go to all the press conferences, call into the conference calls, go traveling down to Florida to cover these games. I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's not like they cover the program overly negatively. They're really just going to say that the team's not playing well and there's still some things that are looking good, but it's not like these guys are writing that Edsel's a fraud and he should be fired or they're not the ones harping on his bonuses like a lot of the national guys seem to be doing, which is really over the top in my opinion. These guys aren't the ones doing that. They're covering the team from a football perspective. And I don't know if it's Edsel taking out his frustrations on the media, taking out his frustrations with the national media on these guys, but like it's, it's just not an appropriate way to treat the guys that are still covering this program that's been awful. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Mike Anthony had a really good column in the Hartford Current, and uh, so did Jeff Jacobs. The other thing is that this team is a multi-year project, as as he keeps saying. So to act like one week at a time, one week at a time, you know, this is not a team competing for the college football playoff, the G5 New Year's Bowl slot, the American, the AAC East, or anything like that. So, So to act, you know, to act like that when, again, you have so many underclassmen out there in the interest of long-term development, to act like asking a question about next year is out of line. Again, it's just uh, when you're the college football head coach, you're the CEO of a program. And the public-facing side of it, the PR side of it, it is it is a responsibility that you have as the head coach. So, um clearly something he could be doing a better job of. Um, and uh, just going back to the quarterbacks a little bit here, again, benching Zergiatis after two bad games against on the, again, uh, in two road games against good teams on UConn's schedule, when there are some other teams coming up later that may be a little bit more beatable, uh, just feels like you're not even putting him in a position to really succeed. So along those lines, UConn's hosting USF this weekend. And, that's a winnable game. Those guys are a complete tire fire right now. They got crushed by Wisconsin. They lost to a Georgia Tech team that is in their first year with a new head coach. And then last week they got a boat race by SMU. So this is a team that UConn has a chance of beating. And, and now we just don't really know, um, is UConn even sending out the best version of their team that they can be? But how do you feel about this matchup? Just all, all of that aside now, uh, how do you feel about this matchup with, with USF? In a vacuum, I'd actually feel pretty good about it. Like you said, they're a tire fire, and it's not like we should be talking, but right. they actually went into the season with expectations. So weird things are always going to happen when you play USF in football. They're coming up to the rent to play, so you've got a home game. 
what would be a better place to get Zergiadis back on the right track against a team that's really not that good? I think they're like 90 in S&P plus or SP now, I think. They're, they're on the verge of like a total collapse. It's at home where clearly Zergiadis was much more comfortable. It's, it just doesn't make a ton of sense, but maybe if you have Beaudry back there, you can kind of settle everything down in the offense and the easy plays are going to get be there so you can kind of just get things going again. Maybe you can get the run game going again. The offensive line will settle down instead of maybe – like Beaudry's more of a you know what you're going to get from him, whereas Zergiadis is kind of a wild card. So in a winnable game – there's a part of me that does kind of want the wild card because if he comes out and is playing like he did against Illinois, UConn would have a legitimate chance to beat USF. Whereas with Beaudry, he's, like we said, he was all right against Wagner. He wasn't anything great. He wasn't that bad. But I still think some things now might need to happen in UConn's favor for them to pull off the upset. The run game is going to need to be significantly better than it's been all season besides Wagner. The defense is going to have to come up and make some plays. UConn can't afford to have those like two to three just back-breaking plays that they seem to still be making every game, whether it's interceptions, big plays allowed on defense, letting up a punt or a kickoff return for a touchdown. UConn margin for error in this game I think just got a lot thinner and they're going to have to force USF into some mistakes too but I still think it's a winnable game for UConn I think what we saw against Illinois definitely wasn't a mirage like you said it's been two really good teams that we've played on the road so even though we're in week five I still don't think we really have a great idea of what this year's team is and if this team's going to be much better at home than they are on the road well that's fine. That's still progress from last year, and that gives them a good chance to win this game. So I don't think I'm expecting UConn to win, but I think it should be a close game, and I think UConn is more than capable of winning. I don't think it would be a gigantic upset if UConn pulls out the win. You're right. I mean, I think the biggest reason it would not be a gigantic upset is because USF seems to just be on this, uh, you know, on the verge of this national conversation about the players quitting on Charlie Strong, head coach Charlie Strong and vice versa. Uh, The other piece being that USF beat UConn by eight last year at home. Uh, They were, they had basically put up one of the least impressive performances against UConn in a year where everyone got to put up big numbers. Um, They had the least convincing win out of anyone a little bit worse than they were last year. UConn is certainly better, right? We, we can all safely admit that there's reason for optimism about the direction of the program. And um, that's a safer option uh, than a true freshman who's throwing, you know, left-handed interceptions uh, to give UConn a little bit better of a chance to win, especially at home. Quick programming note about this game. The kickoff was originally scheduled for 7 p.m., but due to concerns around the mosquito-borne illness EEE, the kick has been moved to noon. The game is going to be on TV still at 7 p.m., but you can watch the game online using CBS All Access. Uh, so if you do want to watch this game live at noon, you'll need that uh, online login for through your streaming service or cable provider. Um, and if not, you will need to wait until 7 p.m. to watch the re-aired version of that game, which um, would would love to see how the ratings for that go. But To give us some more insight on this weekend's matchup and also wax poetic about the wonderful history between UConn and USF, we talked to our good friend Colin Sherwin from the Daily Stampede. And after that, we'll talk UConn hockey. All right, I am pleased to be joined by a longtime friend from the SB Nation blog of fear, 
blogosphere in Colin Sherwin of the Daily Stampede. Uh, Colin, how are you doing today? Aman, my friend, I'm going to miss these long talks where we have <laughs> at least twice a year. Um, so uh, this is it. The civil conflict, it's final battle. Um, yeah, and you guys might actually win this and hold this over us for literally the rest of our lives because that could absolutely happen on Saturday. Oh, well, so so you got the name wrong. Our, ours is called Dysfunction, you know, capital, oh, S- God. capital CT. Wow, you, you, just I, mix, you just mix yourself up with the wrong school? You know what? I, I'm sorry. It's been a long day. I'm still <laughs> at my office at, at 10 after 9 on a, on a Thursday night. Um, but for sure, uh, it is, this is our last dysfunction. Um, Civil Contract definitely always had the best trophy, though, for sure. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I was scheduled to go up there this weekend, and I also realized that there's a really cool party in, the, in the, our sort of middle park or, like, downtown park here in downtown Tampa um, where they're going to put all of the games up on TV on, like, these huge inflatable screens that, like – on the Hillsborough River with a band so you can sit there and watch football and eat great food and have all of these drinks. And it's like, that sounds a lot better. It sounds so much better. And then I realized I can't even watch our game on those screens because it's (laughs) no longer on cable. Nothing says UConn USF like the game being aired on tape delay (laughs) because it was moved up due to a mosquito borne illness scare uh, that is going around in Connecticut. So uh, that, my friend, is the brand at its finest. Yeah. Unbelievable. Totally. So I, um, yeah, man. I mean, it's uh, it's been a long, long and winding road going back to the Big East days. Uh, we'll start with this year's team just because uh, we have to. But um, so why don't you explain to us why USF is not, uh, you know, USF a couple of years ago win in nine, 10 games. Uh, can you just explain to us why uh, this team that sits in a talent hotbed and is in the vaunted AAC is um, not a three touchdown favorite over, over a rebuilding UConn team right now? Because our offensive line is so bad and it can't be covered up. It is just, it is a, a, a Tire fire, dumpster fire doesn't even begin to describe how bad this offensive line is. Um, you can rush three, drop eight, and you're going to get home. Like, like most teams would be when they're blitzing. They are that terrible to continue to not um, provide any protection for the passing game whatsoever. Um, there's a little bit of injury problem, which doesn't help either. But the, the biggest issue is, is just this offensive line is such a glaring weakness. There is an overall, this is not as talented a team as we thought it was at the beginning of the year. There's just a raw talent issue, which can go to some of the the last recruiting of Willie Taggart and some of the recruiting since Charlie Strong has been here. You can point to those things. Um, But the biggest problem is there just aren't enough good players for a team that plays in Florida. That's one problem. But the biggest issue right now is that this offensive line is just so, 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 so bad that you can't move the ball functionally in any way shape or form the defense you know against georgia tech it looks like hey they might be on something here and then they're but the problem is it's really hard to grade them because they're on the field all the time because your offense just goes three and out three and out punt punt interception punt punt and you know wisconsin shuts you out 42 um you know they did score 21 last week but that were all three second half touchdowns um by blake barnett it was you know 34 nothing at halftime well, game's over at that point, and then anything you get against the second and third string, God bless you, but it's not really helpful. Um, this this team's really, really, really bad. Now, you guys are, of course, really, 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 really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so if USF's going to find a win this year, I think you are probably the best chance. Um, but look, I over all of these years that we have done this together, my friend, I don't think I have ever picked USF to lose or even, like, honestly had a second thought about us not winning. Um, I think there is a very good chance we lose this game this weekend. So I'm looking, I'm looking through the history right now, this amazing, beautiful history. I remember writing an article about it when I, uh, when I kind of first started with the UConn blog. It was a little bit more back and forth uh, back then. But um, even looking back, you know, USF has won seven in a row, but only one of them has been more than a one-score game. So it always has been – uh, really close for a variety of stupid reasons. And I think 
uh, this game will have that same uh, magic and and pizzazz. Um, you you know you mentioned the state of the team right now, but I'm you know when you look through USF's performance so far this year, the two losses uh, or the 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 two big losses, Wisconsin SMU. Those are still really, really good teams, as we are learning yes. uh, over the course sure. of the year. So, yeah. um, I guess the Georgia Tech loss is probably the one that that stung the most, and and maybe told you the most about the state of this team. Is that fair? No, yeah, I think that's fair. And to be honest, you know, there was an instant replay um, review that you know if we're playing in an AAC stadium with an AAC crew. Somehow we ended up at a road game in Georgia Tech with ACC officials, which is a little unusual because you normally bring your refs with you. Um, that one, it was a goal line call. They called the fumble. It looked on replay like he certainly broke the plane. Should have probably been a touchdown. Not like 100%, but probably about 97 98%. Um, didn't get overruled. Um, play stood, Georgia Tech ended up winning. That's a game that probably USF could go either way on. Um, certainly in the second half when they brought in Jordan McLeod, um, they, he really started to move the offense better. They looked much more efficient. Um, there were three drives, the, the fumble at the goal line. Uh, they also had another drive to, uh, that ended up in a score. Um, and the third one, he almost broke a play to, to get going as well. So um, it looks like there was a little bit of spark to the team, and we thought, okay, well, no quarterback change. Maybe he can cover up some of the holes in this offensive line with his movement. Um, week three, South Carolina State, 55-16, look efficient, you know, blocking a team that's not very good. But, you know, not a ton yeah. of mistakes, couple, Taking but nothing care of business, yeah. You know, doing what you're supposed to do. You're beating an FCS team by 39 at home with a freshman quarterback. Okay, we'll take that. Um, and then last week, just – all the regression comes home to roost. Now, some of that is, is that SMU, look, man, Sonny got that thing turned around quick. And yeah. they really efficient. Huchel fits that off. You know, he's an air raid guy, clearly. And he fits that offense perfectly. Um, they can really move it. They block well. Receivers run perfect routes. Um, so they're really good. We've played two really, really good teams. But that should that is no excuse for a team that has looked lifeless, um, doesn't seem to play with a ton of emotion sometimes, doesn't look too happy to be there. Like you look at these sidelines. I sat right behind us um, for the Georgia Tech game, and uh, you know I'm five rows back, and these kids are just like going through the motions and clearly don't want to be playing football today. And it's like, how is this possible? Yeah. Um, you know, it's bad. And I don't know if they're going to be able to get it fixed. We had a lot of faith in new offensive coordinator Kerwin Bell to sort of get this thing on. You know, just sort of right the ship. Um, we put a lot of it on uh, the former offensive coordinator now at McNeese State, Sterling Gilbert who certainly wasn't nearly as creative a play caller as what we have now. Um, but I think the biggest flaw that we're finding out is not that Gilbert's offense was just terrible, which it was, but the biggest issue is that he did not recruit effectively um, in those two years. And the players we have just aren't good enough. And that's when you were in Florida, come on, man, like that is not ever, ever an acceptable excuse. So we got to get some better players and, I think, honestly, you know, I, there was a great piece in The Athletic today about how SMU has built up their program so quickly under Dykes, and they have taken advantage of the portal and Texas kids that leave and want to come home, not just Buchel, but, like, so many guys. They've had 16 transfers come back um, in the last two years. I think that's – USF's got to be their next step. we got to get some of these Florida guys that aren't working out at Big 12 schools, Big 10 schools, get them to come home and try and fill this talent gap as quickly as possible. So you mentioned talent, offensive coordinator, obviously huge, huge, huge elements uh, when it comes to winning football games. Um, seems like there's something else going on just with the, the Charlie Strong era. Why, what are the other reasons this is not seeming to work out in the optimal fashion? Man, it's bad. Um, you know, there's not a lot of money right now, and the priority for this program is to get an indoor practice facility. Um, you know, the fact that we don't have one and it rains and, and lightnings here every single day, kind of a problem, especially yeah. in the summertime. Um, so we got to get that fixed and that needs to be the number one priority for the program. We have not invested, you know, we've had success in football and we have not invested back in the program. Um, we've invested in like the fine academics here at the university of South Florida. Um, we want to be an AAU school. We have definitely put all of our revenue towards that goal, but we have sort of let athletics, um, fall by the wayside in terms of investment. And that's really catching up to us right now. I think with, with uh, 
Charlie Strong and just the way he's fallen short of expectations, looks like he might be, uh, there's a pretty high likelihood he does not end up finishing this season as head coach. You think so? You think there's a chance of that? Yeah, I do. Um, You know, this might be Charlie's last job. Uh, My successor at the Daily Stampede, Nathan Bonds, called for his uh, termination earlier this week. I think that's probably a fair assessment. Here's the thing. We all really like Charlie. As a man, I think he's a good person. I think he's tried to do right by the program. I think he makes good, you know, good decisions in the best interest of his kids. I have no issues with him off the field whatsoever. I think he's been a, a good steward and tried to do done the right thing by the university. But this ain't working. This team looks bad. They look flat. They look uninspired. They look uninspired, and they're not talented enough. Other than that, I think it's going really well. <laughs> um, so. You know, the problem, it's just a financial issue. You know, right. USF needs it. We need a Boone Pickens, like, stack, or else mm-hmm. we're going to be stuck in a hole here for not just this year and next year, and next, but, like, long term. We need money. This is a dollars and cents issue. I've heard yeah. some money might be coming in the door here pretty soon. Some, some gifts might be on the way. That could be really helpful. Um, but we need it now, and not like life insurance policies, not like, oh, it's state giving. <laughs> We need dollars. I need, I need the Diddy video, like throwing cash at this yeah. program that's liquid well, and able to be used. Can certainly empathize with that. Obviously, we had to do the, the song and dance with Bob Diaco literally months after signing him to an extension. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember. For, for his amazing 11 and 18 record or whatever. Uh, uh, having to wait until after, let's see, when was it? It was like, I think it was this, I think it was after Christmas or it took a place officially after January to fire him just to save a little bit, but obviously lose out on a lot of coaching candidates. And then here we are back with our old man's Randy Edsel, because basically uh, UConn can't afford to bring in somebody who would be uh, who they could pay at a rate, even comparable to the rest of the conference. So um yeah, but you got basketball. You Just got two really good basketball. <laughs> yeah, you got two really good basketball teams. You got something you can hang your hat on as a program. Um, course, we're gonna, ironically, we're gonna have two really good basketball teams to shoot too. And I, I think we should chat probably around basketball season too because I think you're gonna have a really, the USF women might be very, 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 very good. And I think the men, like man, people are excited about USF basketball for literally, I would say the first time in this century. That is yeah. fun. We um. Yeah. We had a quick uh, chat about basketball season on our podcast, actually, and someone did bring up uh, our man TCF underscore fifteen. If you uh, if you know the guy Thomas Fritch, um, he actually mentioned South Florida as a team that he is uh, has on his radar as as going to be tough in the AAC. So um, we absolutely will will talk during basketball yeah. season, and um, hopefully USF does nothing to ruin the. Uh, the women's basketball, UConn women's basketball team's incredible run through the AAC. It is your last chance to get a win. Uh, Three more shots, baby. We're going to take them. <laughs> um, now, what I want to know is, have you heard anything? Because I haven't talked to any of our friends at the at the league office. Are are I guess Mohegan? This is our last our last hurrah at Mohegan this year. Is this it? I mean, I would imagine. I would imagine yeah. it moves from Mohegan and goes to. Um, I. I I would do home arenas, right? I like, I do it. Play it here, play it. man. We sell tickets for women's, but not like you guys do. But we sell yeah. tickets for women's basketball. Um, and also for your listeners, uh, go support. I know it's sold out. Courtney Williams tomorrow night. Our girl who's guiding the Connecticut Sun to their WNBA championship this year. Um, we are all in on watching Courtney. No, oh, nice. um, so great. Yeah, and it's been so much fun to watch her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, confusing, but. So y'all go out and support um, number 10 because she's just the best. And she was hilarious last night because they had her mic'd up during game two. Yeah, I saw that. Um, <laughs> she's just that's hilarious. Stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, will will really um, – that makes the game exciting and fun to get that that inside look on how they're – I love the trash talk, you know. Love yeah, for sure. Trash talk. But, um, yeah, Morgan Tuck is actually on that Sun team as well, so – yeah. Um, we are in alignment in our support of the Connecticut Sun, even though um, I do live in D.C., but it's uh, right. Yeah. If you, for the locals up there. I went to a um, Courtney uh, got me a couple of tickets actually to a Sun game. I guess it was last year or the year before. It's a really fun like, man, I wasn't expecting much. WNBA game had a ball. 
really good game presentation, really good production. Mm-hmm. Product is so much like that, you know, first couple of years of the WNBA, let's let's not pull any punches here. Like product was pretty crappy. Like it was it was pretty bad basketball. These girls could play. Like the shooting percentages at halftime last night were like fifty five and sixty percent. They can yeah. make them. You know, they can really shoot. And um, you know, like I don't think I mean I'm as big a Title Nine guy as anybody. Like you go back and watch like the ninety four women's world cup, like that it's unwatchable soccer. And like twenty five years later, you can see the growth in the sport. Like you watch women's soccer now, it's like really fun, entertaining, good product. Same thing with the WNBA. If you like check out the WNBA, I'd go back and watch it. It's really good now. Yeah, the Mystics are in the same boat. They actually um, just <clears throat> playing their first season in a new arena. It's uh, maybe like forty two hundred capacity. Yeah, I saw that. It looks really fun. Like in a, in a tough neighborhood too. Like trying to sort of build a neighborhood through it, right? Right. So it used to be the like space used to be a hospital and uh, it's actually also where the, the Wizards G League team plays. So uh, yeah, I got a little, little bit of stuff going on there. Um, but yeah, of course, you know, uh, up at UConn, everyone's very excited for basketball season. We just uh, beat Syracuse for recruits. So, you know, uh, <laughs> things are going okay. But I wanted to... Did the check uh, clear? Did the check clear? I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. Ooh. UConn's never paid for a recruit. Listen, Neither is listen, Syracuse. It's never happened. All in. This is basketball now, so it's a whole different animal, right? <laughs> um, Look, man, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Are you still good at field hockey? Are you still winning, like, field hockey championships? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. I mean, like – Our baseball team's still rocking it, and uh, uh, ice hockey doing well. Soccer has taken a little bit of a downswing, both men and women. But Yeah, it's like you, you've, got, you've, got, you've got something to hang your hat on. Like, right now, like, we are – you know, and basketball this year might be the thing, but right now we have been – we have not won, and this is the most painful statistic I will throw out there – USF has not won a conference championship tournament or regular season in baseball, football, men's or women's basketball since 1995. That's insane. That's insane. Painful. Not even a a share? Not even a share. Not even a football share uh, in the the Big East days? Uh, UConn has two of those. Yeah, no. We did – we were – we split a division – seven and one with temple and we lost at their place. Um, and they went and they won the conference. That's as we, we shared a division title, which we do not acknowledge, which we should not acknowledge. (laughs) Um, but we did technically share a division title. That's the closest we've gotten. And like, I ain't good enough, man. Yeah. I guess it's, you should find, you got to find something, you know, find that sport that nobody, maybe esports can be the one or, uh, (laughs) No, down the streets trying that. They're like all in on each. Oh yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, they got uh, and which makes sense for them because they've got um, full sale university like right there that does Lots like of the video game, game players. Oh yeah, the developers too. Like they do a whole thing. So yeah, it's down the street. Like God bless them. You know whatever. Like we just need to be good at what we need to be good at. And there's quite frankly, like we put fifty thousand people in the seats for Wisconsin. Our marketing team did a fantastic job. Our students, for the most part. Um, really showed up. There was a couple issues with our sororities not going, but whatever. Um, and we really did a nice job of getting everyone in the community bought in and then completely shit the bed. Mm. <laughs> it's like Maryland a couple of weeks ago where they did the, um, uh, they closed down school, you know, they, they cut the campus off. They did everything national Friday night under the lights, Penn oh, state. I, oh yeah. I covered I that game. I actually, oh, did you? At, yeah, I was at that game. I, uh, Doing it for a local paper in DC. I was at that game. Yeah, did not uh, did not have the greatest result, but <laughs> no. Um, the the atmosphere was tremendous for about sixteen seconds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just. I mean, you know, that's kind of exactly what USF did. It got everybody fired up, ready for the season, and then just crickets. And you know, it sucks. I mean, how many times can we let our fans down? We've just yeah. done it over and over. So. Well, yes, yeah, so UConn fans, it could be worse, but I do want to get your thoughts on uh, speaking. Obviously, money makes the world go round, and, and especially so in college football. So uh, the AAC has a new television deal that's going to be taking effect uh, when in two, two and a half years. So how'd you feel uh, hold about on. that? 
I mean, look, they got the best they could, seven, eight million. It's too long. And they, they, they made it too long because they wanted to get to the billion dollar number, which is crazy. Um, you know, I work in new media and tech, like that's my real job. And, um, you know, these things are changing too quickly. And for, for us to sign our life away for 12 years in this very, very dynamic environment, I think was a mistake. The number's fine. I'm good with seven, eight million. I mean, I don't, you know, it looks like, and as the Mountain West is finding out right now, that some of the OTT players that we thought were going to be players, um, things like Amazon, Hulu, Facebook, whatever, um, they're just not there yet in terms of trying to acquire rights. You know, do you want to be on zone? Like, people can't even spell it. Like, I don't think that's necessarily, like, where you want to go. So the options aren't quite there yet, but I think they will be soon which is why when you sign your life away for 12 years, that's where I get frustrated. This should have been a five or six year deal, not a 12. I would rather have them say, you know, we're going to do five years, 500 million than 12 years and a billion just because it looks better in a press conference number. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I completely, completely agree with you. I think the billion, you know, just got Mike Oresco feeling amazing, you know, that, yeah. that he saw that he could, he was visualizing that B in the, in the press release. He's like that guy from Silicon Valley, the, Trace Comas, Trace and he's envisioning that, and he's like, you know what? This is my moment. I know people have been making fun of me. I know I say power six all the time, and I see people smirk, but I'm about to drop three commas on them in that press release. And, um, you know, the other thing was that, again, obviously, this was from the UConn fans' perspective, this was something that basically caused the fracture that, or the final final straw that broke the camel's back or whatever you want to call it. But um, I, I, th- I think the length of the contract and then this, you know, the fact that so many games were going to be only available on ESPN plus uh, is when you start to say, this isn't, this is not going to work for, it. and then you lose, lose tier three rights, which, which for UConn is a, uh, SNY, yeah, reasonably significant part of their revenue at, at this right. at this point. So, um, do you think the the ESPN Plus, you know, the the schools now going to have to be responsible for their own production costs for all these games? See any up upside on that element of it? Yeah, I think because it'll be helpful because like guys like me that actually do want to watch volleyball games can now watch all the volleyball games. Yeah. Um, you know, I. It's is it great for the institution? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't know. Um, you know, the, I'm interested to see what those production costs are. We we've streamed a lot of our games for a while anyway, so I, I don't think it's going to be too much of a burden on us specifically. Um, you know, I I can't speak for Tulsa and SMU on that point. Um, yeah. But for us, I, I don't think it's going to be too bad. Um, as far as you guys, first of all, thanks for the check, um, and secondly, sure. like. I, I think, look, man, there's, there were UConn fans, our, our, our boys at No Escalators, just dragging the league. And there were people on our side just dragging UConn for being horrible at football and a football league. And I, I get both sides. But honestly, I have no ill will or whatever. You guys got sucked into this situation. You didn't want to be. You're never going to be good at football. You shouldn't be good at football. It makes no sense that you would be good at football. I think if you could like extricate yourself from Wrenchler, I think you would. Um, it's just a bad fit, man. And it's not your, it's not y'all's fault. It's not the league's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's just a bad match. So go with God. Go back to Madison Square. I miss Madison Square desperately. God, I would love to be in that league for basketball. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's not the Big East that once was. It's not the Big East that we were both in, and from 2005 to 2015, um, which was, you know, just for us, it was like ridiculous. You know, I mean, we had never won a damn thing in our lives, and we're out there playing, you know, in Madison Square. Um, you know, so that's super cool. But like, y'all shouldn't play football. We're probably, you know, we could be very, very good at basketball this specific year, but maintaining a, a high-end basketball program at USF is probably not super realistic either. Women's, yes, they can. And it's actually going to be the best thing for our women's program because we're finally going to win conference championships because um, you you guys are going to stop, you know, blocking us every year. Mm. Um, so it's great for our women's basketball team. Uh, but it's, you know, for our, our men's team, it's not realistic. We're going to have a good year this year. We're probably not long-term going to be good. 
we should not be in a back, we should not be in the big East and y'all shouldn't be in the AAC. And that's totally fine. Thanks yeah. for the check. Go with God. I wish you all the best. UConn fans are so much fun. I love you guys. Uh, you know, you and Russ and all of the guys, like you've been fantastic. Um, but this just totally makes sense on both sides. Colin, of course, the feeling is, is mutual. It has been such a pleasure uh, over the years. And yeah, you know, I think what, what for me was like, why, why is there antagonist? Why are we antagonizing each other? Right. You know, the, the, the Twitter, it's like, why is there's this ECU fan in our mentions every time something happens and he says the same, he actually copies and pastes responses to multiple people in the Yukon sphere. Uh, every time something happens, there's, there's all this hate thrown around and it's like, you know, just listen, we're, we're just of different, of different cultures and it's not uh, an indictment of any of your schools. No one's saying, oh my gosh, uh, you know, Tulane and East Carolina, we think you are awful for doing what you're doing. No, everyone's doing the best they can with what they got, right? And that's the whole point. But uh, UConn only moved up from FCS or 1AA to try and preserve the old Big East. Uh, right. And then that Big East died. I mean, you know, they when the when the Huskies – football program was on an even playing field with Syracuse and Pittsburgh uh, and Rutger. They were able to do all right, but now those three have been elevated. Boston college was already elevated. And so now any FBS team in the area besides UMass, you know, every FBS team in the area has a massive leg up on UConn from a recruiting perspective. And they felt the drain, you know, like as soon as, as soon as that happened. And so, um, you know, I think just uh, what I applaud UConn for was taking that initiative to do that. And, uh, you know, we, we were, I think something else that the people who, the AAC fans who are ma- angry at us, um, many UConn fans were optimistic about this direction. They said, okay, well, you know, it's not ideal, but, you know, there's pretty good, decent quality and everyone's improving and everyone's investing and all that good stuff. And, and that still is the case. But, um, I think, you know, you outlined really, really well, I think, just explaining USF situation. It's really hard to become very good at football, no matter what. You could be sitting in a recruiting hotbed, and the money and the competition that you're up against is still, still going to be an issue. And in an area that's not rabid about the game, uh, where there are more, there are probably more Miami Dolphins fans in Connecticut, you know, than there are uh, UConn football fans. So, uh, just had to had to make move, but I do agree. You know, I've 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 really enjoyed the the four different uh, the that's the the my one qualm with the AAC. I, I had a great time with every um, really anyone in our blogosphere. Like I said, you, the Tulane guys, uh, the, uh, everyone else. But some of the schools they didn't have one, right? Like we kept looking over and over, and we we for the life of us we could not find an SMU. Or Tulsa, a, a Tulsa, <laughs> yeah. uh, Houston, Houston. The SH podcast guys, they're, they're great. They they just launched a site. I think you know they were they were a little bit of a latecomer to the to the crowd, but I nothing against them. Love those guys, Cincinnati people, Phil. Um, yeah, but it's been a you know it's been a fun group to be a part of. But the just the fact that half the, you know East Carolina, they've got a message board, which is exactly oh. exactly on brand. Oh. Oh, it is on brand, boy, I'm telling you. Oh, is that on brand? Although I will say that, you know, of all the things, uh, ECU has a great uh, home atmosphere at their football games. And Greenville, North Carolina is is actually a really fun place to spend like, you know, one seven tail- hours. Yeah, one tailgate, <laughs> one football game. And and if you stay for the night even, you you would be doing all right for yourself. You know, fun <laughs> fun college town. So if you uh if you get the chance, that would be my recommendation. They're, you know, they're in I have, I have been there. I have gone to ECU and I was considering going to ECU this year, but now we're terrible and I'm not going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah. I, and look, you and you look who you inherit. Like you inherit, first of all, you inherit like anonymous Eagle. Those guys are hilarious. You're having for the Marquette guys. They're great. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it just, it just makes more sense. Now, my question to you is, um, what is the future of UConn football and what should be the future of UConn football? Because let me be be honest with you, from the outside looking in, 
just like either FCS or shut it down and wiggle out of that lease somehow and figure out a way to not have to play like in the middle of Hartford, like just make football go away and and be good at what you're good at, which is so much like just go be good at what you're good at and is what's going to happen here and what should happen. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the part that's so hard to explain because when all the conference realignment stuff happened, it's just like football, 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 nothing matters but football. And, uh, well, to the rest of us, that's exactly right. Like, yeah. to the other 11 teams, that's why you're a bad fit. Because, like, the other stuff matters to you guys. And it, honestly, like, I mean, nobody loves women's basketball more than I do. I'm going out there to Vegas with them in, for my birthday. But, like, <laughs> hey, that doesn't Well, I mean, I mean even just across, across the country. But, you know, where there's schools, yeah. you know, schools like Duke, let's say, where it's like, that's clearly a basketball school. But now they are kind of – I mean, not really by choice, but they're like perennially going to be the 55th best football team in, in FBS every year. So um, there's this, there was this just insane, intense emphasis on football and the, you know, just it's the part that's hard to explain to the rest of the country is just that, yeah, it's, it's, it is an uncertain future, but UConn fans don't mind because of what it, all this means for, of course, men's and women's basketball, but also, just again, thinking about all those Olympic sports, those are all people, those are all students who have been making multiple trips per year to Oklahoma, to Texas, to Florida, and and now they don't have to do that. So <laughs> there's there's that piece of it. And um, look, man, my you know, I uh, everyone asks about that. The, it's your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I think I think they are going to do a make a genuine effort to make FBS independence work. I think there is enough reason to believe that UConn football as an FBS independent can occupy a middle ground between what UMass is doing and what say BYU and Notre Dame are doing, right? We're not, we're not saying we'll become those schools, BYU, Notre Dame, but I think it's also fair to have the audacity to believe that UConn's athletic department is a little bit more equipped than UMass's to um, carve out a peaceful existence. That's the line I keep. That's my my return to normalcy thing. It's you know try and try and schedule some regional FBS teams. They got uh, Maryland on the schedule. They got Duke on the schedule for the future. They've got some of these low and mid tier Big Ten teams like Indiana, Illinois, Purdue on the schedule, and try and build it up so that you can go like eight and four or something, get a independent, uh, get some bowl tie-ins directly through ESPN who, Oh, by the way, is headquartered 40 minutes away from, from the campus of your school. And, um, and then if that doesn't, if that turns out not to work out, uh, then yeah, go, go to FCS, uh, uh, Join the oh my gosh the league's name is is avoided Yankee Conference no, Yankee Conference the, the yeah it's well it's the same what's what's the it's got Stony Brook and New Hampshire and Maine and Richmond and James oh uh, uh, it's Colonial the Colonial yeah the CAA yeah. so you know I I don't think that's the worst thing in the world to be in that conference and try and get good there so um it, it you know I I would not. Uh, I am not here to say the the FBS team, you know, FBS independence is is the future forever. Um, I think it's a, you know, it's worth a shot. I think they believe, rightfully so, that they could get a deal as an independent, a TV deal with an SNY or maybe a Nesson to help make up the gap. I think they believe they'll make more money uh, in the next Big East TV deal, which is going to take a bump up and was already at five about five per school, five million. So, you know, you imagine you get a raise on that. We're getting close to what the AAC was making already. And then hope that basketball attendance goes up and there's, you know, 30 plus games across that season, uh, half of them at home. And if you're about half of them at home, and if you get more, get more butts through the seats, get more people buying merchandise, lower your travel costs and start winning a little bit more in that sports where there's a fan base waiting for it. the math can work out. And I think the, the biggest thing about it was that, and, and maybe it's something that more AAC teams need to realize. Well, two things. One, 
the power five may be closed for business. Uh, it may even be contracting, right? Yes. And, and then the other is that, you know, if they do, and let's say they take the top two from the AAC, those other eight are royally effed. And that's, you know, and that's what we experienced, right? And is, is UConn going to be one of those top two or is it going to be one of those eight left behind in that, in that scenario? So you're um, definitely left behind because it's a football based decision exactly, for the most part. Exactly. And yeah, for sure. So no, I think it's the right, it's absolutely the right move. You guys look, the other thing is, is that your Olympic sports, like, you know, the big East, quite frankly, is not nearly as competitive as the old big East, but the, you know, we're, sure. when we're playing Notre Dame and Syracuse and West Virginia and Pitt and like Olympic sports, they were still really good at that stuff. Yeah. Um, now, you know, good luck with Creighton and Butler, you know, in a, right. in a field hockey tournament, you should whip their ass. So, you know, you, you guys are going to be in a much better position in the long run. I think you're going to win more championships. You're going to play a still competitive at a high level. Um, and you play great basketball and like, that's what UConn should be. So this, this completely makes sense. And I, you know, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm skeptical about the football. You know, I see what's happened in New Mexico state and UMass and things like that. You know, if you're, if you're playing UMass twice a year, that seems not ideal. It's not great. Um, it's not great. No, it's not great. Um, well, and, and honest, yeah, we're not playing. No. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. It's a heated rivalry. We love you. Come on. Um, we love you. You want to throw in a couple of baskets? You tell you what, I'll, I'll make you a deal. We'll pay you to come here. Um, and we'll play a guarantee game, oh my but gosh. Gino's, but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll take you on a guarantee basis. Um, and we'll pay you like, you know, 700 grand to come down mm -hmm. here and for us to kick your butt like we've done for the last 10 years. Um, but you got to throw in a home and home with Gino every year. Cause I still want to play that. I still yeah, want to play women's basketball. I want to, I want a home and home with Gino. I, I'll pay you to come down here. I, we're not going back to, we're not going back to Connecticut. I mean, if you want to do a two for one, maybe we can work something out, but so I want to play a home. Like, right by the, right by the airport. No, no, I don't, you know, again, I don't, uh, I'm not, I'm not too, I, well, I'm worried about next year's football schedule for UConn. That's the weird part. Right? You got, you got eight <laughs> openings and, uh, and no announcements. So I'm, uh, we're booked for next year. By the way, we're booked through 2023, so we can't even. We couldn't even start that now if we wanted to. Well, what about your UConn game next year? That the, the one oh no, gonna the league's have. gonna yeah, the league's gonna make us play eight. Um, we're gonna probably go. We're. I'm hoping it's pod system, and the reason I'm hoping it's pod system because I want Tulane in our pod. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm hoping. That if if we get stuck with East Carolina, at least give us Tulane too. You know, I think that's probably fair. So, so Maya, I got two more questions for you. So one is, what do you see as the future of the AAC? Um, I agree with you. I think things are, are copacetic. I, you know, in 2025, the only thing that could possibly change any of this is if uh, the Big 12 wants to grow um, or if Texas and Oklahoma gets a little feisty. Um, if Texas and Oklahoma get feisty and then they have to go into the Pac-12, um, then that, you know, let's hit the reset button and change everything. Um, but if, if the big 12 stays as it is with 10 teams and no desire to expand, I, if I'm them, I go to 12. I think it makes more sense in the long run. And I would grab, you know, obviously I think both Florida schools make the most sense for geography and travel partner purposes. Um, and the fact that they build it, they bring up a, a pretty good built in rivalry game that, um, you know, and a lot of TV sets, which still matters less than it used to, but still matters a lot. Mm -hmm. So I would go that route. But if they choose not to, and that's their right, I think we're going to re-sign the, the college football playoff in 2025. I think the, the TV contracts are going to be the same, and we're all going to be in the same boat. And this little Isle of Misfit Toys that is the American Athletic Conference, the only difference is going to be the, the office will be in Dallas and Fort Worth instead of in Providence. Mm -hmm. Um I don't see any movement for anybody. I don't think we're going to acquire anyone. I think they might look at schools like Old Dominion or Charlotte that are in growth markets that bring TVs, that bring big alumni bases, particularly Charlotte, um, where, you know, it, we're not going to go out and grab Southern Miss. That's just never going to happen. Yeah. And thank God for that. Because or boy, like Marshall or something like that. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to get Marshall. We're not going to get Southern Miss. We're going to, if we grab a team, it's going to be a team with a big alumni base and a big market. Mm -hmm. Um, that might happen. So they might go to 12 for football. Um, 
but otherwise I think things just stand copacetic and there's no, there is no room at the end and that's okay. Now, if the, if the playoff goes to eight um, in the 2025 deal, then this is all fine because the, the American athletic conference will get the overwhelming majority of those group of eight spots and, or those eight playoff spots. So this is under the assumption that, which I think is the most common, which is the five conference champions of the big, the power five conferences get an automatic bid. There are two wild cards, and then there is one group of five spot. It's not that they want the group of five spot. It's that you don't get an antitrust suit if you have a group of five spot. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, I mean, it's not that they yeah. want to do it, but they're going to kind of have to. Yeah, they definitely to. don't want to do it. Right. So then, you, then you're at eight, and then the group of five gets that designated spot. It'll go to the Mountain West occasionally, but for the overwhelming majority of the time, it will end up in the AAC. And then USF and UCF, who should be by by geography and, and whatever, you know, probably the two best schools in the league consistently, um, with Cincinnati mixed in there too. Um, you know, then you become from the worst path to the playoffs to maybe the easiest. And that changes everything. So if the playoff goes to eight, the conference is saved. Hallelujah, hallelujah, let's have a rain dance. Um, but otherwise, you know, if if things stay at four, or even worse, they go to six and they don't add a and they don't add an automatic group of five spot, um, that would be bad. But if it goes to eight, I think this league is really, really well positioned um to be a place where you can consistently get higher and higher level football. No, I agree. I mean, I think that was part one of the issues, right? Is that you in the fourteen playoff or in the six one six scenario that you're you mentioned, the ceiling for an AAC program becomes get snubbed for the playoff, lose your head coach to a team that hasn't been good in twenty years, and try and make it happen all over again. So yeah, exactly. It's about to be a really busy time for fans of UConn Huskies sports. The Ice Bus gets its season started this Saturday with a game at Sacred Heart. Uh, Connolly, what's the latest with the hockey team? Yeah, so season hasn't even started yet, and there's already been one departure. One of the freshmen, Matei Blumo, he is from the Czech. He was a fourth-round pick of the Edmonton Oilers this past year. He's left the program, and he signed with a professional team out in... I believe Czech, the Czech Republic. So he's gone. He would have been a nice piece for the Huskies, but they still have a lot of um, quality players around. I think it's kind of interesting that they open with Sacred Heart because if you know anything about UConn hockey, Sacred Heart is just the one team they cannot figure out how to beat for whatever reason. And it's like the USF of hockey. Like weird things happen when that game is played. So... I think it's an interesting one to start the season with because if they can get that monkey off their back to start the year, that would be a pretty solid way to open things up and just kind of kick the season off. But I think it's going to be a really interesting year just because the way they finished last year was really impressive. It looked like the team that we kind of expected them to for a lot of the year, that young talent that we talked so much about last year, those 12 freshmen, they really started to show by the end of the season. Tomaj Vomajka really came on as a goaltender. I think he's finished the season with one of the highest save percentages in program history. That's how good he was. If you take the last eight games of their season last year, after they beat Northeastern in overtime and went 5-3 and three to close out the year, they averaged 1.25 points per game. So if you can stretch that out over an entire hockey schedule, that would have put UConn at 30 points. And if they finished with 30 points, they would have finished in fourth place, which UConn's never finished higher than fifth place. And with the way the hockey standings are set up, the top four teams host in the playoffs. So that's at least an idea of how good the team could be. I'm still a little conservative on if they're that good, but I think they're definitely going to be vying for a, they're definitely going to be vying to host a playoff game, I think. So unlike last year where they started, for the most part, pretty much the entire first half of the season on the road, it's luckily a much more balanced schedule this year. It's a little heavier towards the first half of the season being at home, but it's really not that huge of a difference. It's still pretty even. Something that's interesting is they only leave New England once for a game and that's up to RPI which isn't exactly a far trip like their trip to Maine is going to be significantly farther than that they never have to get on a plane this year 
Whereas last year they went to Belfast for a game or a couple games. They went out to Las Vegas for some games. So it was just a really bad mix for them to start out with last season, considering they had such a young team and then you're on the road so much, and then you're doing some hefty road trips on top of that. So I think with the team that's kind of in an in-between year, having that balanced schedule at home and not having to travel a whole lot is going to be good for them. So they open up at Sacred Heart on Saturday. It's at 7 o'clock down in Bridgeport. And then their home opener is six days after that on October 11th, a Friday night. That's going to be against Army. And then the next day, they've got another game against RPI. So it's an exciting time. I think it's going to be a really exciting season because if those fresh or those, those now sophomores play like they did last year, even if UConn isn't winning all the games, it's going to be really, really exciting to watch. And they've still got some really talented freshmen, even though Matei Blumol's left. So um, there's also a new deal with Hockey East this year. They've got a TV deal with Nesson. There's going to be over 100 Hockey East men's and women's games in general that are shown on. And then the other exciting thing is finally Hockey East has gotten a streaming partner. So previously there wasn't any way to just watch every single Hockey East game. You basically would have had to go and buy whatever streaming service a road team had, or you would have had to watch it through their service. This year, Hockey East is pairing with College Sports Live, which is the same software that UConn uses to broadcast their non-televised games. So like their soccer games, I believe field hockey's on there. Their men's hockey games were on there before that weren't on TV. So it's a little disappointing that it's not ESPN Plus just because ESPN Plus is so much easier to use. I have like You can put it on a Roku or your PS4 or Xbox, pull it up on your computer. Whereas College Sports Live, you can really only pull it up through your computer. It's also more expensive. It's $9.99 a month, whereas ESPN Plus is only $4.99 a month. But still, it's just a really good step in the right direction because for as big of a conference as Hockey East is being the best hockey conference in the country, the fact that it didn't have a television deal or a streaming deal is just obscene. So. For nine ninety nine a month, you get to watch every single UConn game on the schedule, and you can tune into any of the other hockey's games that you want. So it's not perfect, but it's still a pretty good deal. Um, but yeah, it should be a pretty exciting season. Anyways, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll get you next time.